and welcome to Better Words. My name is Caitlin and I'm just a bookish babe. And I'm Michelle and I'm from the Unfinished Bookshelf. And guess what we just did? We got locked out of Michelle's house. Yay! (laughs) So I actually came over to Michelle's before she finished work and I was um, doing some other podcast stuff, editing and things like that because my internet has been so unreliable. So I was like, I'll just, I'll drop the key off at your work. And so I took it off my keychain with all my other keys. So when we left the house to go grab something just before we decided to record this, I was like, looked like it's, my keys are in my bag. All good. We're good to go. But Caitlin had put the key back in the key bowl, which was great. You know, yeah, um, I think that that was the right move, but we just was. forgot. And so and that meant that we got yeah, locked out. Yeah. So um, what did we do while we were locked out? We watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yep, on Netflix, on Michelle's phone, while we waited for Michelle's boyfriend to get home. we could still, like, access the Wi-Fi at my house. (laughs) So that was good. That was good. Um, Which brings us to the point that we have just started um, watching the second season of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yes, because it was added to Netflix while Michelle was overseas, and she made me promise not to watch it without her. Even though it turns out it was on the plane and I could have binged it all. Yeah, and we could have been finished it already. Yeah. But we would anyway, have got to watch it together. Yeah, it's so. our thing. We watch it together. Um, and we are really enjoying it so far, I think. I think I speak for both of us when I say yes. <laughs> that we both hate Josh. Yeah, we just, we don't, I mean, I don't hate him. He's just oh, not he's right just, for Rebecca. I just, just think that she, he's just a bit, he's a bit dumb. Yeah. I just think that she should be with Greg. Yes. Greg is so nice. Yeah. Get yourself a Greg. <laughs> Hashtag get yourself a Greg. It's a lady gang joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also Rebecca is a terrible friend. Um, yeah, poor Paula. Paula is so nice and... I'm just, but I'm keen to see where she develops. Yeah. She just, we just saw her first like solo song and it was really good. So I'm, yeah. I'm keen to see her like develop as a person, independent of her of weird her relationship inf- with Rebecca. Yeah, independent of just being the antics. Yeah. With Rebecca. Yeah. yeah. So we're enjoying that. This show is genius. I love it so much. It's, yeah. yeah. It's brilliant. Rachel Bloom is hilarious. Yeah. So. It's really, really good. So yeah. we will enjoy watching more of that. Um, the other, there are two really exciting things happening this week. The first is that on Friday, Caitlin is turning 21. Yeah. Um, so we're having a really fun night of like 1920s Gatsby frivolity. Glamour. <laughs> Glamour, darling. <laughs> Wow, that um, was like supposed to be my like rich old lady voice. It Glamour sounded darling. like who's the lady who does the costumes in The Incredibles? You know the little one oh, with Edna. the bob Edna, Edna mode. No, this is Edna. Edna, that's my. Oh, that's not really right. <laughs> anyway, yes, nineteen twenties glamour is the theme of my party. Anyway, so that's going to be really exciting. And then the day after, I'm going to see Paul McCartney live in concert. Yes. Oh, like Woo. literally a dream come true. Like I just, uh, she can't, every time this is mentioned, she just can't, she like fans herself and she's freaking out. I have too many emotions. And if you want to see an example of what I look like, um, you should, we should link it. Um, the video of the, um, Lee Sales from 7.30 interviewing Paul McCartney's only Australian TV interview. She is just a big as 
um, just as big of a fan as I am. And the point where she comes out to say hello to him, she's like, you can see she's just like, this is her dream. <laughs> and it's so beautiful. And then at the end, she's just like, I've never interviewed anyone of whom I'm a bigger fan. Thank you. And he's just like, oh, love. <laughs> it's so sweet so we'll link because there was a piece that I sent to Caitlin that Lee wrote about the moment that she met him and I was nearly crying even Caitlin was like feeling all emotional because you can just tell this is her moment yeah so it was that piece was just like it was so well written you could really feel how much that she really was like so excited and And wanted to do it it doesn't have to be like Paul McCartney because you will understand her excitement if you just replace that with whoever you would most like to meet. Yeah. You know, and that person for you who is just above all other celebrities that you would just love to meet, if you just replace that, you like... It's the same feeling. She wrote so well about how how she coped with that and how she coped with, as a journalist, um, meeting your idols. I always yeah. think that's really interesting because I've always thought I wouldn't want to interview Paul McCartney because what if that like shatters everything you've ever built up that person yeah, to be exactly. in your head, which is fake because it's what you've built in your head, but you just don't want to, you, you shouldn't meet your idols, yeah. but, but for her, it was everything she'd ever dreamed. And that is just so beautiful. Yeah. I'm I mean, so happy for her. You hear, yeah. It's so nice. But I mean, the don't meet your idols thing is one of those things that like you hear about, you know, there's always some details like that that you know you find out about people who are especially celebrities and you know singers actors whoever mm. who are generally pretty private mm. and then you find something else out and it's like oh yeah you know like can be it can be disappointing yeah it can be or they're just like a bit rude to you or yeah or if you you're the interviewer interview and you're, when and you're like oh. to or they might be nice if you're just at a fan day but if you interview them they might yeah. be really rude to journalists and that's such an off-putting thing then yeah when yeah you've built them up to be this amazing person um yeah but anyway i'm so excited um we will also link for those interested a guardian um review of paul's wa shows in perth um which got me so excited for what we're about to see it kind of went through um, all the things he sort of did and I'm really excited for that and then the night after I see Paul McCartney I'm seeing Cat Stevens so it's just going to be like a whole night of 60s like legends <laughs> it's going to be amazing so I'm just so excited <sighs> like, I just can't deal with it I'm so excited I'm so excited <laughs> I just I just every time someone says I'm so excited I just hear that song in my head yeah there are, yeah, there are so many songs that that for me yeah speaking of songs yes are you playing your glee christmas album yet yes (laughs) oh yes i am Uh, so i mean the glee the glee the glee christmas albums are just because they cover all like all the songs or whatever and i think that they're all good singers (laughs) but there are a couple more christmas songs that i want to mention michael buble no oh okay no, I don't know. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I kind of um, got the feeling that you, you didn't like him just then, the way you looked no, at me. No, not really. Like, Ew. I mean, not a fan. Not not a fan. Indifferent. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but no, my other favourite Christmas songs 
that I have added to my playlist the Do last couple of years. All I want for Christmas is you. No. Oh, good. No. I mean, everyone loves that song, but like, I don't need to mention it. Okay. And it's not my top fave because I'm. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so the couple that I wanted to mention that I have on my Christmas playlists: Ariana Grande, Santa, Tell Me. <laughs> Which is very... I just really like it because it sounds like an Ariana Grande song. But mm. it's a Christmas song. So it's a bit fun. Um, and <laughs> the Winter Wonderland and Here Comes Santa Claus mashup from Pitch Perfect 2. <laughs> which is Snoop Dogg and Anna Kendrick. And Aww. it is so good. Like, I was serious. When did Pitch Perfect 2 come out? Like, the end of 2015, I think. I mm. thought that that song would skyrocket and be like the top Christmas song and it didn't which I think is so disappointing because it's so good it's really fun because it's like you know I mean Snoop Dogg for first is like sleigh bells ring slow is listening or whatever it's like you know and then like Anna Kendrick comes in with like the beats and you know yeah. I just think it's really cool also Sia has released a Christmas album oh really which I have not listened to yet oh but I'm very, very intrigued. So maybe I'll tell you how that is next week. Okay. Well, one of my favorite things to do at Christmas, which we'll talk about later, is watch Gavin and Stacey Christmas special. And I do that too with some of my favorite TV <laughs> shows. But we'll get That's to a that future in episode. A Christmas episode. But all I was going to say is there's this bit in it where Gavin, um, sorry, not Gavin, um, where Smithy rings Gavin and is like, it's Christmas! <laughs> um, so... Jasmine, who I stayed with in the UK, like loves Christmas, <laughs> loves it. And I just keep like, I sent her that. I keep tagging her in every Gavin and Stacey Christmas related thing That's because awesome. it's Christmas. It's Christmas. And also we're a bit late, but we're putting up our tree tonight. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good. Just like what? Five days into December. Oh, it's all right. So yeah. That's our little intro. We're very, very excited to get to our interview in this episode. It was amazing. Like, just an amazing interview. We've been talking about it ever since we talked to Margot. So good. Spoiler alert. (laughs) It's in the episode description and title. So, yeah. We hope you enjoy our chat because we certainly had fun and we have not stopped talking and we cannot wait to read this book next year. Yeah. Stick around. Our guest this week shares something really special with Caitlin, with both hailing from Adelaide in South Australia. Her debut YA manuscript, Neverland, was shortlisted for the prestigious Text Prize and was picked up by Penguin Random House to be published in April. She's also represented by the gorgeous Danielle Binks, who is one of our favourite people at Better Words. Our guest is also a popular blogger at Lectito and has a beautiful Instagram feed you should really be following. She also holds a creative writing PhD and her book reviews have been published in a number of Australian publications. Oh yeah, and uh, she's also now mama to sweet baby Frankie. Welcome writing Wonder Woman and total boss babe, Margot McGovern. Oh, wow, thanks, guys. That was an amazing <laughs> intro. I don't know that I can quite live up to that. You certainly can. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, oh, thank you so much for having me. It's, yeah, no, we're, we're so really excited. excited to be on the show. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Yes, we're so excited to have you. Um, yeah, pretty much, I mean, Danielle was one of the first people that we really interviewed 
and um, you know, she was telling us about you and other people that she's representing as well. And we both thought straight away that your book sounded so cool. We can't wait to read. <laughs> and then we were really excited that the cover's recently been revealed too. It's so, so pretty. Gorgeous. Yes. Yeah, I feel very, very lucky with the cover. It's absolutely gorgeous. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> so let's kick things off with your debut, um, which, as we've said, you know, we're really excited for. Um, let's talk about the process. So um, from idea to submission to the text prize to actually, you know, finding an agent and then signing on the dotted line for the publication contract, what was that process like for you? Um, it's been very long. <laughs> it's, it's, when it, yeah, it comes to mind, the word is long. Um, I started working on Neverland way back in 2013. Um, I just finished my PhD and I was kind of like, what am I going to do now? Um, and I was working, I was living in Melbourne at the time and I was working for um, a magazine called Ride On, which was a cycling magazine that used to be put out by Bicycle Network. Um, and I was, you know, fortunate enough to have a full-time job writing for this magazine, which was fantastic. And I was like, oh, but I finished my PhD. Like, do I want to keep doing this full-time? What do I want to do? Do I want to write stuff? Um, and I was like, I really want to take some time out to write a novel. Um, so I actually went down to part-time at my job and started working on this book. But before I did that, I was sort of like, well, what, what book am I going to write? Um, and I sort of had this idea for um, a, a young adult novel that was set on an island. And originally I was sort of thinking of like this crime plot, um, which fortunately I discarded because it was going to be terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was sort of like thinking through what is this book going to be? I was sort of, I was feeling really homesick um, for Adelaide, which is my hometown. And so I went back home to submit my PhD and sort of like have a bit of time to sort of think through everything, do a bit of soul searching. Um, and I was just kind of feeling really stuck. And so I sort of went back to a lot of the places that I used to hang out with with my friends and, you know, sort of tried to recreate, you know, all the things that I loved about home. Um, but what I found is kind of things just, I'd been gone for quite a few years at that point and things just weren't really how I remembered them. And most of my friends had actually moved into state. Um, and yeah, so it was kind of like trying to get back to this place that didn't really exist. And then I sort of started going back through some of my old journals and sort of reading what, you know, the past had been like there was really different to sort of how I remembered it. And it just didn't really match up. And I was like, oh, that's quite interesting. It wasn't quite as rosy as I remembered. Um, and at the same time I started, cause I was just on this huge, like nostalgia bent, rereading all these books that I really loved as a kid, like Peter Pan and Treasure Island and stuff like that. I really loved pirates and stuff as a kid. And what I found is these books weren't like I remembered either. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I was like, they were actually really scary. So I sort of started thinking, well, maybe there's something in that. And I really wanted to explore this idea of kind of feeling really stuck, um, and not really knowing sort of where to go next, you know, in life sort of thing. And, you know, sort of being really relying on the past and thinking, oh, things were so much better then. But then actually realising, well, maybe they weren't. And maybe because they weren't as good as I thought things were in the past, um, you know, maybe I can move forward and it won't be that scary sort of thing. So that was sort of the, I guess, the idea for the book, which I'm really not explaining very well. Um, no, that's what, the whole, like rose-coloured glasses thing almost is really interesting actually that you know we all everyone remembers good things you don't yeah. remember 
all the bad things and then you know you try and go back and it's like wait what <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's something something many people will be able to relate to yeah definitely mm. especially when it comes to you know thinking about um you know for people you're friends with in high school or yeah, going back to one. like your hometown and it's like oh it was really glorifying this place <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, it was just kind of yeah like I remember there was this I was going back to this journal and there was just one entry that just said I am a bad person and I was like oh my god what did I do like, <laughs> like clearly I'd done something like terrible at that point which I didn't want to like commit to words but, yeah, um <laughs> And, you know, there's just lots of stuff like, you know, you sort of, yeah, think back on things, yeah, really, I guess, romanticise the past and then, you know, maybe it's not actually like that. And I think, yeah, the important thing for me was like that was sort of keeping me from moving forwards because I was so sort of determined, I guess, to get back to this sort of place and then, um, Mm. yeah, sort of, yes. (laughs) Sorry, I'm really not doing a very good job of explaining that. Yeah, (laughs) no, I think that's really interesting. So you started working on it in 2013. Yes, sorry. Getting back to your question. So that was sort of the motivation behind it. Um, And then so I sort of I spent probably, I guess, 18 months drafting it. Um, And I sort of I was very aware of the tax prize. I'd entered it and been rejected for it before. Um, And so I sort of used that Mm. as my deadline to get a really solid draft of the book done. Um, And so I did that (laughs) and I sort of finished it like a week before the deadline it was like just enough time to post it so that it would actually get to them um and then sort of had to just sort of forget about it for a bit and I was like oh we'll just see what happens you know um and stupidly I hadn't shown anyone the manuscript or really talked to anyone about it during that whole time like I just said I was working on a book um and in hindsight I kind of wish that I'd workshopped it a bit with some friends but anyway um yeah I got uh got a call from tax and they were said that I've made the shortlist and that was fantastic um and when I actually got the call the day I got the call my husband and I moved from Melbourne to Perth so it was kind of like I got off the plane and I had a voice message from them um so that was quite full-on and at that point so I just I'd left my job obviously in Melbourne and I was gonna try freelancing full-time and I was very nervous about that so it was kind of like a nice way to kick Mm. kick off like my full-time writing freelance life um and then uh, after the tax prize, I was shortlisted but didn't win. Um, so I didn't have a publishing contract, but I was like, okay, well, clearly there's something here. I'm not going to give up on this manuscript. I'm going to start sending it out to people. Um, and I sort of sent it around to a few people and got some really lovely rejection letters. And by lovely, I mean they weren't just straight nose. They were kind of um, – they gave some editorial feedback and stuff. So – uh, you know, people sort of said, look, it's not quite for us, but keep going and here's sort of some things you might want to work on and stuff. So um, I then sort of, yeah, constructive criticism, exactly. Um, so I spent some time reworking the, the manuscript and quite significantly changed it um, and then sort of put it aside for a bit because I'd started work on another book and I was like, oh, I'll just sort of think about who to send it to and what to do with it. I'm not really sure. Um, and at the time when I moved to Perth, I got really into book blogging um, and got really into bookstagram as well and had sort of, you know, heard about the whole Love Was YA thing that was going on and was sort of starting to get really excited about all of that. And when I started blogging, one of the first people Mm -hmm. I sort of came across was Danielle Binks and her blog Alpha Reader. And 
Um, this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I was basically insta-stalking her. Um, and I thought she was amazing and I really wanted to work with her. She is amazing, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I really, yeah, I was sort of keen to maybe work with her in some capacity, but at the time I had no idea what, I was just like, this woman is really cool and she's doing cool stuff. Um, and wasn't thinking about it in connection with Neverland at all. Um, but then after I'd been blogging for a little while, I saw that she was becoming an agent and was looking for middle grade and young adult manuscripts. And I was like, Oh, this could be it. Um, (laughs) It, and it took me, I think it took me like two weeks to work up the courage to send her a pitch because I was like, I really don't want her to reject me. I want to be her friend. Um, oh, I love this story. And, yeah, this is so good. Yeah. So like I spent, you know, ages trying to work out how to pitch this book to her and I sent it off and I was really, really nervous. And often when you pitch to agents or publishers, it takes them like six months to get back to you or whatever. So I was not expecting to hear anything. Um, she got back to me like straight away. Uh, which was great and she liked my query and wanted to see the full manuscript and I was like okay this is good um sent her the manuscript and she got back to me within like a week which for reading a manuscript is just lightning fast Mm. um and she rejected it (laughs) so that was yeah a little bit of a heartbreaking moment but um she said she really liked the idea of it and she liked lots of stuff about it but she had some work she wanted me to do on it before she would consider representing it. Um, so, yeah, she was like, look, if you do another draft, I'd be happy to read it again. But, you know, it's a no for now. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I was like, all right. So I took her feedback on board and reworked it. And I was sort of trying to work out how to, like, get up the courage to send it to her again because I'm like, I can't have her reject me twice. That would just break my heart. Um <laughs> But then we, um, my husband got a new job in Adelaide this time, so we were moving again. Um, and I'd sort of put Neverland aside again. I was like, oh, I just, I, I want to look over it again before I send it back to Danielle. And um, anyway, I got an email from her the day that I moved to Adelaide. So basically, I just oh. need to move interstate whenever I want something to happen with my writing, um, saying, you know, I'm still thinking about this manuscript. Have you reworked it at all? And I think, you know, normally I'd be really nervous to send it, but I was just so caught up with like the moving and like my dog was coming in on the plane that night and I was really worried about him and stuff. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Here's the manuscript, Um, which was really good because if I'd had time to think about it, I probably would have overthought it. Um, (laughs) Anyway, she got back to me and was like, yep, this is great. I would really like to represent you. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, (laughs) So that was fabulous. Uh, so that was in December last year, just before Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. And then so she uh, started pitching it around at the start of this year. Um, and then in April she heard from Zoe Walton at Random House, Penguin Random House um, that she was really keen and wanted to take it to an acquisitions meeting. Um, and an acquisitions meeting is basically where uh, an editor really likes a manuscript Um, and they have to basically present it to the publishing house and make a business case for it. And, you know, the marketing people and stuff have to sort of agree that, yes, there's, um, you know, a business case to publish this book. So a lot of books fall over in acquisitions. So they, they sort of said, don't get too excited, but maybe. Um, and yeah, so I had, I've had a big chat with Zoe for like an hour before, um, 
she went into the acquisitions meeting and that was quite nerve-wracking it was almost like a job interview but it was great she's amazing and we basically just talked about books for an hour um and then yeah she's like look you might not hear anything for a while but you know we'll be in touch um but then yeah by the end of that week she was like nope we'd, we'd like to put in an offer um and so yeah I signed with them like a week later and then yeah since then we've been editing and comes out next year in April so a year from signing to publication but yeah that's well, amazing what a great story <laughs> yeah um actually speaking of editing though that was kind of our next question and you've written a blog post on this so you're saying that you're like really willing to take people on the journey with you but can you kind of talk us through the editing process as you've experienced it so far yeah sure um sure. I sort of I wanted to blog a bit more about it but then uh with baby and everything it's sort of <laughs> fallen away a little bit I'm hoping to do some more in the next couple of weeks um but basically um it's gone through sort of there's been like f- four stages to the editing process um so uh first of all um Zoe's my editor but then I've also been paired with Mary Verney um and so I actually have two editors so basically they um read through the manuscript first and the first thing we did was a big structural edit. So they gave me, I think it was about five pages of sort of general notes and questions um, about the manuscript to sort of think about and sort of suggested areas where I could like either pull things back or there were things that they liked that they wanted me to sort of, um, you know, punch up a bit more and make more of. Um, so stuff like uh, there's sort of a surreal thread that runs through the manuscript and Um, both Zoe and Mary really liked that so they were like look if you can sort of you know add some more scenes where there's more of this sort of stuff going on that would be great and then you know there were a Mm. couple of elements to some of the minor characters that they're like oh this stuff's sort of pulling focus from the main narrative can we pull back on some of that and so things like that so that was sort of the first big edit Um, and then after that uh, we did a second structural edit but that was sort of it was sort of looking at things more on like a scene by scene um, basis uh, and sort of looking at, you know, okay, in this scene, you know, this is working, this is not quite working. Maybe think about reworking this a little bit or whatever. Um, And then after that, we did the copy edit, which is where they actually mark up the manuscript and sort of, you know, make suggestions. And a lot of that is things like, you know, you've got like repeated phrases or you, you know, you're using like repeated sentence structures these are the things that I do a lot um that's my pet peeve at work when I'm subbing people's stories <laughs> yeah. and I did not realize how much I was doing it I'm like oh I haven't got any repetition in here and then like you look at the marked up manuscript and you're like whoops um yeah and, it's not yeah, until you sit down and start to think about it yeah exactly um and then there was stuff like you know like looking at too many adverbs and adjectives and just sort of like you know, clunky phrasing and all that sort of stuff. So really looking at the actual, yeah, like the copy. Yeah, technical stuff. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then the final stage, which we're sort of just getting towards the end of now, is the proof edit. Um, so with that, it's, you know, proofreading. So it's looking for, like, typos and sort of any little errors or tweaks that we want to make. Um, and so um, the exciting thing about this one is, we're doing it on the typeset pages. So until now I've been working with a Word document, um, but now I'm working with like the actual, I guess it's it's almost like an ebook version of mm-hmm. um, the manuscript, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. So I can see what it's actually going to look like as a book. Um, 
and with it looks that, more like a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's really cool. It's basically like editing an ebook, so that's fantastic. Um, and yeah, for that, uh, I did a proofread and sort of sent them my notes, and then they had um, another editor who hadn't read the manuscript at all go through it. Uh, and send me her notes and I sort of responded to her queries and then Mary and Zoe are now both doing a read-through and they'll send me their queries and then once we've done those that will be sort of the whole editing process Um, but yeah I think it's kind of I wasn't really sure what to expect going into it in terms of like oh are they going to try and like change the manuscript or like you know they're going to ask me to like cut entire characters or you know how does this work and um, I found it to be um, it's been a really amazing process. Like they're very much sort of instead of saying, oh, we want you to cut this and change this, they sort of it's much more asking questions and sort of making suggestions. And I felt very much like I still have control over the manuscript, which has been really amazing. Um, yeah, well, that's really good. I guess yeah. the process is to make the book better, but sometimes it probably doesn't feel like that to authors. <laughs> yeah, I'd heard, you know, a few horror stories from people, not not about my publishing house, but sort of just in general, and you kind of go, oh, gosh, I hope none of that <laughs> happens. But yeah. it's been really yeah. good. And, yeah, and I've learnt so much as a writer from going through that process as well. It's been, oh, I'm sure you would. And, like, yeah. It would be insane. Yeah. Well, then the other thing that happens with obviously publishing a book is the cover, which we've already mentioned is beautiful. How was the process for the cover? Like, did you have much of a say of what you thought it would look like or was it just pitched a whole bunch of options? How did it work? Um, yeah, I was always, I, I, I always wondered about this as well, but um, as an author, you don't really get a say in the cover. Like you can sort of... Um, make suggestions I guess or say you know I I think it should look like this and they can choose to disregard that completely um but yeah I I really I I, that's not what happened with me but um uh yeah like Zoe and I had sort of talked about using uh some of the key images from the book um on the cover and sort of incorporating that kind of I guess like boys own adventure novel kind of feel to it because the the story itself has a bit of that feel to it um Mm -hmm. but other than that I had no idea what they were going to come up with um and uh, yeah so the first sort of I saw of it was they sent me um sort of a mock-up version that had different illustrations so um the designer Krista Moffat who has just done an incredible job had sort of put together what she thought it would look like and then they actually got an illustrator to sort of uh do the actual illustrations um from there uh, but yeah, I didn't really get a say, but I'm, I think if I had had a say, it wouldn't look as good as it does. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things, isn't it? It's like, you know, you're a writer, not a designer. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Which is why I <laughs> publishing houses sort of say, look, you just stick to the words and we'll get someone who knows what they're doing to do the images. Yeah. So is the final, like the cover that has been revealed, is that pretty close to what the, you know, first sort of version that you saw yeah, it's um, it's very close. It's just the um, some of the illustrations were like a little bit different. Like she just kind of pulled illustrations from all over the place, and they sort of didn't match up in terms of style and stuff. So um, yeah, then yeah, they they had an illustrator sort of put it all together to make it uh, more consistent, I guess. Oh, cool. That's pretty cool. I guess I always wondered about that because you probably hear, I mean, we even see that with, you know, you get books as like review copies or whatever, and then a book comes out and you're like, that's not what mine looks like. Mm. Or sometimes (laughs) there have been posts about like, 
authors showing which options they were given. And I know um, Sarah Ayub for the yearbook committee had four different options on Instagram and you could vote for which option. Yeah. Yeah. And it was up to the public to vote what they thought would be best. That's really cool. Um, Yeah, no, I I wasn't given options for this one. They just had like the one. So um, yeah, but I think it's a good one. It's gorgeous. I mean, if it was terrible, hopefully you would have had enough say to be like, "Mm, no. (laughs) Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, they did, um, they did when they showed me the mock-up cover, they, you know, they did ask for my feedback then. Um, I don't know whether or not it would have had any sway, but they're like, this is what we've come up with. And I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. yeah, I wonder what would have happened if you were like, mm, I hate that. Yeah, <laughs> I am really loving the trend at the moment for like typography covers, yeah, illustrated covers, because yeah. like a few years yeah. ago, I feel like every YA book had like a face on the cover and it was yeah. just a very and up it was to the like, minute who is thing. this random stock photo person? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That looks nothing like the characters described. Yeah. 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 Like um, I was looking at my bookshelf and like one that always stands out for me is um, Homegoing. Um, this striking orange yeah, cover is gorgeous. Cover. Yeah. Um, yeah I've just, no, I'm hitting a blank on all my other. I put all my nice covers in the um, bookshelf in our lounge room. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, The Mothers by Britt Bennett. That is a gorgeous illustrated cover. That is just beautiful. I've seen that one. Hang on. Now I'm I'm trying to look it up on Goodreads. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you will have seen it. It's been everywhere. Um, So is it hard? (laughs) Sorry. sorry. (laughs) I do know that one. Um, Is it hard then as an author to let go of that that manuscript that project that you've been working on for so many years yeah it is um but it is it's a gradual process I guess um and I think yeah so the first thing you have to do if you get an agent is you have to give it to your agent and just trust them to kind of go out and find a home for it and that's quite intimidating which is why you know um like getting an agent can obviously be quite challenging uh, sometimes and there's this kind of idea that you just have to like go and pitch everyone and just try and take whoever will take the manuscript um, and I, I would say to anyone thinking of doing that like no please like find the agent that is going to you know really fight for your book um, mm. because it is this really scary thing of you have to give it to them and you don't get to sort of like be part of those conversations they're having with publishers on your behalf sort of thing so yeah, um, yeah like when I found Danielle I was just like I know that she is really going to represent this book in, you know, uh, in a really positive light. And I really trust that she's going to be able to find a home for it. So, um, yeah, if you're, if you're going to go with an agent, you need to find someone that you really trust and have a really good working relationship with. Um, and yeah, then it's sort of, it's, you know, once you start sending it, you know, to agents and to publishers and stuff, um, the book sort of stops being just yours because you start having more people working on it, which is kind of an interesting feeling as well. I quite like it actually. So, you know, you have your agent who's sort of pitching it around and then when the editors come on board, they're sort of giving their input and then, yeah, you have a designer come in who sort of gives their take on it, um, you know, and sort of now gradually more and more people are starting to read it. So there's proofreaders reading it and uh, I think review copies are about to go out. So, you know, reviewers are going to start reading it and that terrifies me so much. Um, oh, exciting though. Yeah, it, it's kind of that like exciting slash terrifying feeling. 
Um, but I think where it really hit home for me was uh, when I sort of got to put up a post on Instagram saying, like, I've got a publishing contract, this is coming out. Um, and, you know, my, like, Insta friends were like, oh, cool, we'll get to read it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you will be able to read it. Like, this is so weird. <laughs> this, like, Word document yeah. on my laptop is going to be, you know, out there for people in to Mm. yeah it'll be out in the world and people will be able to read it which is it's awesome but yeah it is really scary and it is kind of hard to let it go as well because you know once a reader gets their hands on it like they bring their own experiences to it as well which is fabulous but yeah terrifying as well you're just like oh I hope people like it (laughs) yeah yeah we've been learning that theory at uni too that like it doesn't really matter what your intention is as an author it's the interpretation that a reader brings to it and I guess that would be really scary it is I mean it's wonderful as well because you know it's it's really exciting to think that people are going to bring their own experiences to it and stuff Mm. so um, I'm really looking forward to that as well but yeah it's it is that process of having to go all right I have to let this go now and I can't have total control over it anymore I think the hardest thing for me if I were to ever write a book was would be to think that once it's finished and published what if like the next day I was like "Mm, I think they should say that not this or I should change that oh my god why didn't I change that because after it's been what can you do Yo, I feel like I'm kind of going through that at the moment with the proof edit because it's like this is the last time you get to look at this and make changes and I'm like oh, overthinking like every sentence just like what if I just tweak this can I do this and you know it's like at some point I think you just have to go yeah it's done I need to put it away because I think <laughs> you know you can kind of tweak endlessly um yeah yeah I mean, I feel that on a smaller scale with my stories and especially like if I'm doing the the proofing and typesetting shift it's so hard when you look at something over and over again and you're like, are there any mistakes in this front page? And you're like literally ticking off every word, every letter of the word to make sure that you've got everything perfect. And you're like, I'm literally the last person who's got to press go on this. And if there's a mistake, it's my fault that it got through. And that can be like that with big stories too, where you like literally analyze every single thing and you're like, wait, could this be interpreted this way? And especially if it's, you know, um, not so much like if it's a political story or something because like that stuff it's not that it's not important but like I worry more when it's someone's life so if I'm doing a story that's like a tribute to a loved one I'm like am I saying something that's going to be offensive have I got something wrong like I'm very hyper aware of presenting every word and every sentence perfectly so I can't even imagine what I'd be like if I was doing it with a novel or a book (laughs) yeah and I think the thing is like you know when I used to work for the magazine it was you know we would spend ages proofreading it and then like no it's it's fine we we can send it it'll be fine and then we get the actual print copies back and we'd find a whole lot of typos and you're like oh no yeah um yeah like just trying to avoid that and it's it's really hard when you've read like, you know, I don't even know how many times I've read through this manuscript and the amount of things that you just don't even see when you're reading through it. Like some of the typos I've picked up this time, I'm like, okay, well, I've read over those 30 times and haven't picked them up. So um, hopefully I'm getting everything. But, I mean, you know, it's good that there's sort of four of us reading through it. So hopefully uh, there won't be any typos in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we've talked before on the podcast about um, that kind of intersection between just writing creatively and studying creative writing. 
Um, and a few episodes ago, we were joined by one of my former lecturers, Caroline Graham. Um, so you've done a PhD in creative writing. Um, can you talk to us about that process? Because that seems like um, an amazing achievement. Um, thank you. Um, so <laughs> it's a lot of work. I, yeah, it is. Um, so, yeah, I did my creative writing PhD at Flinders University. Um and before that, I went through their Bachelor of Creative Arts creative writing program um, and then like did my honours and then went on to do my PhD. Um, and I think the PhD for creative writing is quite a, like it's very flexible in what the sort of requirements are for it and different universities have different requirements almost for it. So at mm. Flinders, um, the focus is very much like, um, you know, it's sort of both um, practice-led research and research-led practice so it's kind of expected that you'll be working on the research component and the creative sort of in tandem with each other um, and that those things will sort of inform each other so basically the thesis itself um, is divided into two parts you have the creative work which um, in my case was a novel and then um, you have your research component which is like an exegesis that goes alongside it and has to sort of speak to the creative work um, yeah so for mine, I looked at um, my favourite book ever is The Secret History by Donna Tartt. Uh, mm-hmm. So I looked at a whole bunch of novels that sort of, um, I called them campus clique crime novels that sort of did similar stuff to The Secret History and sort of I looked at a whole lot of um, campus literature and sort of said, look, there's a whole lot of academic criticism of campus novels but not really around these kind of novels where you have like student protagonists um on university campuses and stuff like there are reviews of them and they're being talked about in pop culture but they weren't being talked about academically so much um so I sort of I was like that's my little gap in the in the literature so I'm going to write about that um and yeah so I sort of picked a bunch of novels um including the secret history and sort of wrote about those and then sort of used what I was finding with those novels to kind of try and write my own and try and do something a bit different with that subgenre. Um, so what I did, um, a lot of the novels I was reading were either American or from the UK. Um, so I set it on an Australian campus and sort of looked at some of the differences in the campus cultures, but also I found a lot of the books I was reading had quite passive male protagonists. So I used a, a very active female protagonist in mine. Mm. Um yeah, and so that was sort of what my thesis was about, I guess. Um, yeah, and it was, but the the actual process of doing a PhD, I think, is yeah, it's it's a really amazing experience. Um, I think it's probably not for everyone, um, and I think going into it, you sort of have to really know what you want to get out of it. Like, if you want an academic career, or if you want to, you know, um, pursue other things, or whatever it is that you're going to try and get out of it, because it is quite. Um, it is a very sort of open-ended beast, I guess. Um, yeah. And there's, you know, you have to sort of, uh, you know, you, you're doing teaching, you're giving conference papers, you're, you know, working a thesis, you're doing creative stuff. It's sort of, there's a lot going on and it's really competitive to get work afterwards. And um, yeah, and I think uh, you sort of, you, you also have a lot of um, independence with it and you're kind of expected to just sort of get on with it. You have a supervisor um, but you're not sort of working other than with your supervisor. You're not sort of working that closely with other people. You sort of have to be very disciplined. Um, yeah, but I was really fortunate at Flinders. There's a really sort of um, 
supportive group of postgrads there and uh, the postgrad culture there was really fantastic. So uh, that was, yeah, amazing. I felt quite supported by my friends and I made a lot of friends there that I've sort of continued being friends with and they're still sort of the people I call when I'm having trouble with stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it's really good. So because you wrote a novel for your PhD and you've obviously written a novel, did you find the writing process for them both similar like what were the differences um I found them quite different the book I wrote for my PhD uh now lives like in the proverbial bottom drawer (laughs) um (laughs) I think for me going into the PhD the big thing I wanted to get out of it was to learn to actually write a novel because during my undergrad you know you're sort of submitting short pieces like you're doing short stories Mm -hmm. and poetry and you do a bit of screenwriting and um you do like writing for children stuff but you do like picture books and junior fiction so you're working with texts that are never really more than a few thousand words and then it's kind of I got to the end of my degree and I was like well okay I can I've done all this stuff but I don't know really much about novel writing yeah um so then I was like it'd be great to work with a supervisor who has written novels and you know have their sort of guidance learning to to do that um, so I really saw the novel that I wrote for my PhD as kind of a learning experience, like how to, how do I do this? Um, and I think because of that, like it was a much longer process and, you know, it, yeah, I found it really difficult and like my first draft was just abysmal and then, you know, <laughs> sort of trying to sort of slowly work through it. And it was, it was a really steep learning curve. Um, uh, and it was, it, but it was really great because I did learn a lot and, and my supervisor, Ruth Starkey was just incredible I learned so much through that process um but then when I came to write Neverland it was still quite a long process and I still did like millions of drafts but I sort of felt that I was starting from um like Like a a better place yeah yeah a much better place and you know it was sort of I would have had to if I hadn't done the PhD I probably would have needed like another 10 drafts (laughs) to sort of get there (laughs) um so yeah it was it was really useful for that I think do you think you'd ever rework the novel that you did for your PhD for publication? Maybe. I'm not sure. I feel it was kind of because, and this is this is not the case with every PhD novel, but I felt with mine it's quite closely linked to the exegesis and stuff. So I feel like if I was just writing it as like a novel, I probably would have done a few things differently. And looking at it now, I'm like, I, yeah, I probably wouldn't publish it as it is. So, um, yeah, I think it would need a lot of work. So I don't know if I'll ever go back to it. Maybe. I'd like to, but we'll see. Um, so this has been a huge year, obviously, with the publishing contract, but also um, you gave birth to your daughter, Frankie. Um, how are you finding motherhood so far? Oh, it's great. I love it. <laughs> it's awesome. She's really fun. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it has been a huge year like I um I found out I was pregnant a couple of weeks after I signed with Danielle um so it was just kind of like oh my gosh um and we bought a house the day that I found out I was pregnant as well so then like we were moving house and it was just like there was just a lot going on (laughs) yeah yeah um so 
yeah, it's it's been really good. Like when I was pregnant, I know some people you hear these stories, they have this massive burst of creativity while they're pregnant and they like dash out a novel and stuff. And I was the complete opposite. I basically just lay on the couch for nine months. <laughs> That's and like praying that feeling would go away. Um, <laughs> and fortunately it did. Like as soon as she was born, I felt like myself again yeah. um, and felt super creative and uh, yeah, and have just loved sort of, um having her and sort of like I've had to do the copy edit and the proof edit for Neverland since she was born so it's been like a really crazy couple of months um but in a really good way it's kind of like oh wow this is really overwhelming but also it's like oh I've got a book and a baby and this is kind of like yeah all my dreams coming true so (laughs) I mean that's amazing I just don't know how you possibly have a you know very young baby and are editing a book in at the same time those two things don't seem like yeah right together. <laughs> like, how do you have time to both? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, with uh, lots of support from the family. <laughs> um, yeah, my husband's, you know, he's really good. He's a very hands-on dad. Um, and, like, my mom lives around the corner. So there have been a few times when I've just called her up and been like, can you just come and watch her while I get a couple of hours worked on? So um, that's been really good. But also, like, young babies they do sleep a lot like you you sort of I think the thing is you have time you just never know how much time you have yeah you could wake up in 30 seconds or in three hours so um, so you just have to get to let go of yeah (laughs) yeah when you have a few minutes you just kind of have to go for it (laughs) actually one of my favorite stories that I've done um for work this year has been with a mutual like friend but like person that we know from the performing arts community here in Rockhampton um called Amanda Hawk and she played Elphaba in our production of Wicked and she was cast while she was pregnant and she literally was like don't cast me this isn't gonna work I just it's my dream to audition on this stage, I have a very special connection to the Pilgrim Theatre, which is our yeah. local performing she arts She just center. wanted to sing Defying Gravity on the stage. Yeah, she was and like, I just, like- it's a dream to do this, but I know <laughs> this is not possible. I'm pregnant. Let's, like, just let me do it. And then afterwards the directors came to her and were like, look, we love you as this. We want this to work. Um, could could you do it? And not only was she playing Elfbart, not long maybe their baby was about four months old yeah. I think yeah uh, by the time that like I mean that's oh not including yeah. rehearsal time oh yeah she was rehearsing like st- yeah. straight, away. straight away um on top of that <laughs> her husband Travis was also in the production um I had so, a four-month-old baby with a two-week wow. show yeah and Run. they don't actually live in Rockhampton so they had to come and like live in Rockhampton for the week they live like 40 minutes away um fine except for production oh week gosh. so we will link that story because I just think it's such a great it story. was one of my favorite stories to write because she was just like such a go-get I love Amanda and it was wonderful to talk to her and then we did we organized the photos um of her and Travis and their baby um on the Pilgrim Theatre stage and they're just mm. the cutest photos so like <laughs> but you talking about that reminded me of, of that kind of like you really can do anything if you set your mind to it yeah. as well and I think it's I think it's such a great example yeah. for Frankie and um for Lucy in Amanda's case to see mums and parents doing such amazing things yeah as well like going after their own dreams yeah I think 100 percent um and you know I kind of I 
you know, I didn't know how I'd feel about being a mom. And I kind of realized within about a week of being a mom that the way I could be a good mom for Frankie is, you know, to kind of be there for her, but also, you know, be setting an example by saying, you know, you need to go after these things. And, you know, when you have an opportunity, you have to take it. Um, I've read uh, this amazing book called Motherhood and Creativity, The Divided Heart. It's um, put together by Rachel Power. And she basically went around and interviewed a whole lot of Australian creatives who um, are also mums and interviewed them about how they sort of balance their creative work with motherhood. And it is fantastic. If you can get your hands on a copy, I highly recommend it. Um, So that was kind of my saviour. Like I was reading that while I was doing this edit and looking after Frankie and it was just really, um, made me feel really supported to go, okay, there's like all these women making this work and they all feel really differently about it. And yeah, it it was really good. Um, So yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that was really good. Do you think that being a mother will affect or has affected your writing? Um, well, I haven't got to write anything new since Frankie was born because I've sort of just been focusing on the edit um, and trying to get some sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it's going to have a really positive effect. Um, I've already sort of the next manuscript that I'm working on, which initially I planned to have done before she was born and then was just wow, <laughs> like doing it. Cool. Um, yeah, I, you know, I've had all these ideas for it and I'm really excited to get back to it. And like all these problems that I was having with it, I've sort of been able to solve because you have sort of, when you're looking after a very young baby, you have a lot of time where your hands are busy, but your mind's sort of not busy. Like they might be sleeping and you're putting on loads of washing and like emptying the nappy bin and, you know, doing all that sort of stuff that you don't really have to think too hard. So I was like, oh, this is a lot of time that I can just kind of think through these problems in the manuscript. So when I sit down, then I, you know, when I eventually get time to actually get back to it, um, I've got all this stuff to do. So, uh, and I think normally, you know, I sort out those problems while I was sort of having a cup of tea and gazing out the window, but (laughs) I won't be doing that anymore. So it's kind of, yeah, I think I'll make it work that way. Um, But yeah, I think being a mum also, um, I feel like as soon as I met Frankie, I was just kind of like, I just want to make stuff for her and, you know, sort of thinking about, okay, if I'm going to make a story, like what stories do I want to be making for her and stuff? So I think she kind of will help me focus it a bit and, yeah that's so sweet (laughs) yeah so as a as a mum of a girl as well um I'm assuming that you'll want stories that are really empowering and you know stories that tell your daughter that she can do anything it's not just falling back into a stereotypical role of a girl yeah 100 percent um and I think you know YA is such a good place to be doing that and um I'm yeah really excited about that because I think I think that is something that's really important and one of the big themes in Neverland is really about taking control of your story um and sort of being the one that's in charge of telling telling it um and yeah so yeah I definitely I think moving forwards you know other books that I'll be working on I think that will probably continue to be a really strong theme um yeah it's yeah it's you know we're living in this kind of strange time where you know feminism is progressing so much but then because of that we're also you know hearing about all this horrible stuff that's yeah. going on um you know like with this week with the dog oh, yeah, stuff breaking yeah. and things you just go oh my gosh like the world is broken it's a very um time. and yeah I think it's amazing that women are starting to mm. speak up so um yeah definitely encouraging people to do that is important yeah yeah definitely um so 
we kind of have like one final um, question, which is, you know, obviously apart from Neverland, which is already on our like wish list for 2018, um, is there any other books that you think should be on our radar going into next year? And this doesn't just have to be YA as well, anything that we should be looking out for in the new year? Oh my gosh. So I have to admit my book blogging and reviewing has kind of like taken a bit of a backseat uh, the last couple of months. And I have like, yeah, yeah. Um, so I have like all the publisher catalogs for next year sort of sitting there in my inbox and I haven't even had a chance to read through them. But the one book that I am like super, super excited for is Obsidio, the last book in the Illuminae Files trilogy. Um, so that's kind of like my big book for 2018. But yeah, other than that, I not sure. Yet. I'm sure I'm going to think of like a million titles as soon as we finish this, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's always the way. <laughs> yeah, that's always what happens. But yeah, no, definitely Obsidio is one of those ones that is going to be like such a huge book next year. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> like I don't read a lot of sort of sci-fi and stuff and then I was kind of intrigued by Illuminae. I was like, oh, I'll see what this is like and I think I read the whole thing in one night and was just like, where it is? When is the next one coming out? So, um, yeah, I'm really excited. <laughs> it's really impressive. It is not a small book. No, I know. Although there's not that much text on each page. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. The layout is really cool. Yeah. I loved that about it. Yeah. At first I was like, mm, it's going to just be really gimmicky. But then I was like, no, this is incredible. I love this. Um, oh, well. Fabulous. <laughs> well, thank you so much yeah, for joining sorry. us. <laughs> yeah, um, no, really, thank you so fine. much for having me. And sorry for the sort of rambly answers. I tend to get a bit sidetracked. Oh, no. We love sidetracked. <laughs> um, Margot, where can people find you um, to follow you on social media? Uh, they can find me at um, Project Lectito, which is project underscore Lectito, which is L-E-C-T-I-T-O, um, on Instagram and Twitter. And awesome. also uh, my blog, which I'm just talking <laughs> about, um, which is just uh, me. Wonderful. And your book is out in April next year? Yes. Neverland is out in April next year. Um, and I hope people buy a copy and enjoy it. Excellent. Yeah, I know oh, we will. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Guys, if you want to follow Better Words as well, you can find us on at Better Words Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, And you can also find our Facebook page. We also have a really cool little newsletter, which we send out every week, which just keeps you up to date with what we're currently reading and watching because sometimes it's a little bit of a, a, like a few weeks before we can get to actually talk about it on the podcast. Um, Is there anything else I need to add, Caitlin? Well, you didn't actually tell them that to get to the newsletter, they have to go to our website, betterwordspodcast.com, and make sure you leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting things that you're listening to us on. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.